Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. What's up? How's it going? Good to see you guys. You guys go ahead and take a seat. Hey, we are um, here tonight. First of all, welcome to Wednesday night. It's the best night of the week. What, what's tonight? Best night of the week. Let's go. Wednesday nights, there's no better place to be than on a Wednesday night in East Vancouver. If you find yourself in town, this is the place to be if you're in 6th through 12th grade. Super happy you guys are here. Uh, I'm happy if you're new in the room tonight, if you're a brand new uh, student, if someone has invited you and they didn't tell you about who we are, they're just like, hey, just come. There's going to be pizza. Fun fact, we're going to have pizza after this. So try, try your hardest to completely remain under control. I know I use the word pizza and I know just everyone's going to go insane, but that's okay. Welcome. Um, we're super glad you guys are here. We're a community of students. Everyone look up here at me. I want to see your faces. I want to see your eyeballs. Everyone look up here. We're a community. Thank you, everyone. We're a community of students learning to live for Jesus Christ. If you're in this room, you don't know who Jesus is, I'd love to tell you more about him. But for those of you who are in the room who are Christ followers, this is a time where we get to gather, we get to connect, and we get to uh, celebrate what the Lord has done, and we get to encourage one another. We get to listen to God's word. We're learning to become more and more like Jesus. So Jesus works today in 2021. Actually, in real life, he works through his Holy Spirit. He works through the, uh, uh, his word, the actual word of God. And he works through the people of God, the church of God. You know, our church here at Northwest Gospel Church, we're really big on this truth that we as people, as human beings uh, collected, gathered together are the church of Christ. It's not about a building, right? We actually are very specific about our language. We call this the auditorium because we don't think that, you know, and believe that, you know, there should be the sanctuary or something special, big, you know, names like that. No, we believe that we, the church of Christ, are the people. And so tonight, we're going to dive into a brand new series where we see where the church of Christ started where we get to get a, you know, a, a first front row seat, a glimpse into where the church of Christ actually originated from, where it started, where it began, some of the first conversations, some of the first ever meetings of the church. And this series is going to be called The Spark. Yeah, very cool, right? The Spark. I think there's a graphic. Yeah, it's right up here. And uh, we're going to be going through Acts 1 through 3 over the next couple of weeks. I think it's like six or seven weeks. I don't know. I should definitely know that piece of information, but I'm not entirely sure. And we're talking all about church and, and, and how the church of Christ got started in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a really interesting book. It was written probably in 60 to 65 AD, which means probably 30 or something years after Jesus lived and breathed and walked on the earth. And if you know anything about ancient literature, 30 years is actually a super, super, super close time to record some information that had happened. Typically, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't read and write in these ancient days. And um, 
uh, a lot of people didn't uh, communicate with letters as much as maybe we communicate with letters or written text messaging, things like that. And so actually, uh, people used to verbally pass down pieces of information to other people. They used to tell stories. They used to, uh, you know, tell stories, ways, things that have happened. And so sometimes pieces of recorded history that we find factual, that we all believe today, were sometimes spoken of, or they happened, they were spoken of for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then they were recorded. And so here in the, uh, specifically the book of Acts, only 30 years after Jesus lived and breathed and walked on this earth do we get the words that we're about to read. And so go ahead and open up your Bible to the book of Acts. If you don't know where it is, it's right after uh, John. And so the spark, the spark, that's what we're calling it because there's something that happened that lit the flame. There was something that happened that spread like wildfire and that's God's church. Now I've told you this story before. But I'm going to tell it again. One, there's a couple new people. Two, I love this story so much. So it goes like this. And again, if you've heard it, just humor me. Laugh at all the same points you laughed at last time. One time, I went camping with people in Michigan. And I'm going to tell the, the shortened story because it was like 10 minutes last time. And there's this one person... It was with a church group of people, and there was a bunch of different campsites all around this property. And I was with uh, a group of, uh, of guys that I worked with, and then there was a couple of our students. I was a youth pastor uh, a number of years ago, and so there was a couple of our students who were hanging out with us. And this one kid, love him to death, he looked at us one time, and he was like, hey, you guys want to see a trick? And he kind of had like this look on his eye like he was going to do something insane. And we were like, what are you talking about? And he's like, do you guys want to see a trick? And he like had this crazy look and we're like, yeah, okay, show us whatever this is, whatever. And he's like, all right, cool. And he pulls out, you know, one of those, I've realized those uh, tiny compressed uh, gas canisters, the, the green ones that like you can kind of cook like, you know what I'm talking about, the little propane tanks that you can use to cook fires or whatever without actually starting a real fire. So he had one of those tanks with him and he figured out a way to uh, get a little bit of the propane out of the tank in liquid form which they specifically designed so that that can't happen. But this person had decided to configure it in a way where it could happen, which is not a good idea. And so he decides, and he's going to show us this trick, and he's, he's using this uh, canister. He's trying to spray just a little bit of propane, just a little bit of fuel, and he's going to pour the little bit of fuel like onto the fire. And it's apparently going to cause like this massive spark or whatever. It's going to be like this huge eruption. It's going to be super cool. And so he's like, I've done it before. I've done it a million times. Don't be nervous. So the fire is about here. He's about here with the propane tank that's pressurized and has like a bunch of fuel in it. And he's like trying to get like he's configured it in a way, which you're not supposed to do. Don't ever do this to get a little bit of fuel out. And all of a sudden we hear. And the gas starts leaking out of this canister and we all freeze. We're like, oh, no. And so instead of throwing it the other way away from the fire, this person starts freaking out and they go, oh no. And the path of the fuel directly crosses the flame. And one tiny spark meets this fuel that is leaking out. And all of a sudden my friend is holding a flamethrower in his hand. And I am somewhere the other way, about like 30 miles away. I have no idea what happened. I saw the spark. I saw the moment it ignited. 
and all of a sudden I was in the middle of the woods. I don't remember like the like two seconds in between and I'm running and I was like, you know, I lived a good life. I did it. I, this, this is going to be the moment. A piece of shrapnel, sh- shrapnel is going to hit me and we're all going to die. It's fine. And I look back briefly and there's just this can that is spinning around on fire. And then I run and I jump into the bushes and I look up and the fire seems to have died down. And we run back and somebody has somehow miraculously gotten the fire out with only minimal one degree burns when the whole thing could have exploded. So the moral of the story is don't play with fire. This is a very bad thing. It's very dangerous. I was very terrified. But it's that one thing, right? It was just one tiny little spark and then a massive can of compressed gas, which had something to do with it, right? And the reason we're calling this series The Spark is because Jesus, he had a few guys that he hung out with, his disciples, the people uh, of of Jesus' crew. uh, Jesus had 12 guys specifically uh, that he trusted, that he mentored, that he trained, that he spoke to, that he preached to, that he told about the kingdom of God to. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He died and he was resurrected again. And afterwards, he only has 11 disciples because Judas betrays him. And so there's only 11 disciples now. And something incredible happens. We talked about it last week. Jesus gives a mission. He gives the goal. He gives his heart for humanity that people would know him. He gives it to 11 people. And all of a sudden, 2,000 years later, Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of churches across the country. Millions and millions of Christians have lived uh, since the day that Jesus died who have trusted in the Lord. And the church has spread like a wildfire. You know, we hear discouraging stories sometimes. We hear stories that are hard and difficult of persecution in the church or numbers in the church or this or that. But God's church has only grown since the 11 people were there on that mountainside in Galilee. The Lord has done something incredible throughout his Holy Spirit. And tonight we're going to see the beginning and the glimpse of this spark. The thing that lit the flame, the Spirit of God, of course, lights the flame like we just sang about to create and fuel the church of God. So I want you to get, read along with me. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read all of it, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to break it down. And again, this is actually our first time, my first time, uh, preaching with you guys doing a narrative. And so we have to be really good about reading specifically, right? We've done... Uh, poetry, we've done uh, some epistles, and so now we need to read this like narrative. So follow along. This is a story. This is a true story that happened. And uh, yeah, pay attention really closely. It says this in Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commandments uh, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promised uh, of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out from their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them with white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of something incredible. This is the beginning of a story that we're still a part of today. When we gather here at Citizens Youth, we're, we're not our own church, but we're a ministry of a church. And we get to engage in this mission to be witnesses, to go to the ends of the earth, to tell others about Jesus. Let's pray and then dive in. God, we love you. Thank you for uh, this church. Thank you for uh, the support that it brings, the unity that is found here. God, we pray over these students in this moment. God, we pray that you would teach us truths from this uh, scripture that you've given us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and for uh, the words here uh, on these pages. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the main idea from what we just glimpsed over, those 11 verses, the one thing I want you to get from today, God's spirit-filled followers are to be witnesses everywhere. God's spirit-filled followers are to be witnesses everywhere. Spirit-filled followers, it's the same thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're filled by the Spirit. If you're filled by the Spirit, you're following Jesus. It's just kind of part of the theme of the book of Acts, and especially the beginning here. Spirit-filled followers are to be witnesses everywhere. This was written by Luke in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commandments to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. Theophilus uh, is this person, maybe, some scholars think, so Theophilus means lover of God. Uh, and so some scholars uh, wonder if that this term is just a character that Luke, so Luke, a follower of Jesus, a medical doctor, very detailed in his writings, has addressed this letter to. And so some, many people think that it could have been a real person who had uh, supported Luke on his um, preaching and his uh, endeavors. Some people think that this is symbolic to any Christ follower who would read this one day. Whatever it is, uh, we know that the truth is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he says in the first book, he's talking about the gospel according to Luke, he talked all about what Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up. And so uh, now, this, uh, the Luke, he is teaching all about what Jesus would continue to do in and through the apostles of Jesus Christ. So we see the beginnings of what Jesus was beginning to teach, but we are going to see in this book the continuation of what Jesus is doing through his people. So Jesus walked physically on this earth. He spoke of the kingdom of God. He healed. He's done miracles. But then we're going to see what Jesus' followers do. And it's really exciting. It's really cool stuff. And then he says uh, in verse 3, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So if you don't know who Jesus is, right? Jesus was a man. He's the son of God. He's fully God, fully man. He lived uh, on this earth about 2,000 years ago. He lived a perfect life. 
He died and was risen again on the third day. And after he died, after he came back, he was with his apostles for 40 more days. He's with his followers for 40 days, continuing to speak and to teach about the kingdom of God. And some people were pretty skeptical. Some people were like really skeptical. And I like this passage. It says this, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings. Jesus, a real breathing physical version of him was resurrected. And so it's really, really important that this passage mentions this. And it's really important that Jesus was alive and was walking around for 40 days. Because so many people doubted. Some of his followers, the people who saw him, like physically after he died, failed to believe. And so he presented himself alive. Why? Because this is important to the mission of God. This wasn't just, you know, a Jesus ghost that came back. This wasn't like a different spirit that came back. No, this was the physical being of God. And we believe that he had scars and still has scars to this day from being a physical being who is risen again. And that's the Jesus we worship. And that's the Jesus that so many uh, of his apostles saw and still doubted to that very day. But Jesus was there and preaching about the kingdom of God. So he's teaching about these things. And then he orders them to do this thing, to not depart from Jerusalem. So we talked last week about the Great Commission and about how he tells his followers to go, go out, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But then he says, don't depart from Jerusalem. Why is that? For he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. See, this is the promise that God has promised his people for many, 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 many years to dwell with his people. God has promised to restore his people and to dwell with them physically. And this is a promise that Jesus says, hey, it's going to be fulfilled. Not in like a thousand years, not in like 20,000 years, but in a couple days. What? That's pretty cool. In a few days, this is going to be uh, fulfilled. He says, don't depart from Jerusalem because the Father is going to uh, give you something. What does it say? It says, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the first point. This is verses one through seven. uh, The point I want you to get. Jesus promises his people the Spirit to empower them to be witnesses. Jesus promises his people the spirit to empower them to be witnesses. Lots of cool things to talk about what Jesus said and did, but Luke focuses on the fact that he is alive, he is proving, and that he is uh, showing others that the spirit will come and they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now we've been talking about the Holy Spirit a lot in the past couple of weeks. Romans chapter 8, now in Acts And, uh, you know, before, if you didn't know or don't remember, the Holy Spirit was promised and is promised to all believers. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus uh, gets to and does receive the Holy Spirit uh, when they accept Christ, when they understand they need a Savior, when they repent from their sins. So the Holy Spirit is promised. Now, however, God dwelled with his people in many different ways throughout history. In the very beginning, you know, Jesus physically, or uh, God was physically with his creation before the fall, walking through the garden, walking with his people, right? And then we see, uh, you know, sin corrupt, and then now God is dwelling with his people in a tent, in a tabernacle. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is here, Christ in flesh, and he says that there's something, there's a promise coming to you. There is this promised thing that will be here with you and for you. 
and that is the Holy Spirit. And this thing was promised for a really, really long time. So you may be here right now and you're like, so what is the Spirit's role in the life of a believer? Maybe you've heard it before. We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, you know, Paul calls the Spirit life. Um, you know, we see the Spirit references many different things. And so there's a couple things. You don't need to write this down, but I want you to listen. The Spirit's presence in our life right now is for a couple different things. Uh, one, it's for the conviction and the repentance from sin. John 16, verses 8 shows us, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's God's Spirit. The Spirit also helps us, number two, interpret and understand Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training and righteousness. The Scriptures that are here are breathed out by God's Spirit, and God's Spirit helps us understand the Scriptures that are written. And then, of course, becoming more like Jesus. Ezekiel 36, 27, And I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statures and to be careful to obey my rules. And this thing was promised for a very, very long time. Do you ever have a friend that you are like, your buddies with, and you like go to the movies, and you're like about to go, and he's like, hey man, can you just pick up my tickets for me? And you're like, sure man. And you like pay for their ticket. And then they're like, hey man, can you uh, buy my popcorn and candy and an extra large soda? You're like, okay. You're like, are you sure you're not here already? He's like, no, no, I'll be here soon. And you're like, okay. Uh, I'll buy all that for you. And then it's like, oh, one more thing. I forgot. I want some gummy worms, so please get me those. And you're like, okay. And so you buy all these things, and they're like, sweet, I'll get you back. And then you go to the movie, and they're like, sweet, I'll just cash app you. And you send the request, and it's been like two or three days, and you're like, this is kind of weird, right? And you're like waiting in that moment, and then you're like, you text them maybe another request. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get that back to you. And you're like, dude, those gummy bears were like $45. Movie theaters are hurting right now, and they're charging a ton for popcorn and stuff. You owe me like $85 million, right? And it's just like this constant game of waiting. I say all that because I'm the other friend who forgets to cash at people, so I'm like the worst type of person. But that waiting, right? That thing you're like, man, when is this actually going to happen? I know they promised me it. They like, I know them to be trustworthy. They promised this thing, but I've been waiting for this to happen. And God's people had to wait a really long time for him to dwell with them physically, and to dwell with them in the form of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe me, I want to read for us a couple passages. Look at what it says here in verse 4. The promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. Something that has been promised for years and years and years. Isaiah 32. Isaiah chapter 32, verses 14 through 18. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted. The hill and the watchtower will become dense forever. A joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks, a.k.a. desolate wasteland. Things aren't going super well. Verse 15, until the spirit is poured upon us from up high and the wilderness will become a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, a.k.a. the redemption of all things. That's written in Isaiah chapter 32, 700 years before Jesus, until the Spirit is poured out, on for, out from on high. Something God's people were looking forward to. Ezekiel 36, this is about 100 or 570 years before Jesus. 
Isaiah 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanliness, from all the idols. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the hearts of fle- or heart of stone and give you a heart of of flesh 570 years before Jesus. Joel chapter two, uh, we're not quite sure, possibly three to 500 years before Jesus comes. And it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, old men shall dream dreams, which then Peter references Joel chapter two in the next chapter of Acts. So God's people are waiting for this thing, something that you and I have access to, something that you and I uh, have access to when we become Christians and know the Lord and they're eagerly awaiting for this day. They're eagerly awaiting. Jesus promises them that the Spirit will empower them to be witnesses. Let's see what it says in verses six through seven. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the promise. You're going to receive power, the promise from the Father. And when you do, you're going to be my witnesses. When this happens, you're going to be my witnesses. Now we're going to see why in a couple weeks, why they had to stay in Jerusalem. Why he said, don't leave. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Look at verse 6 and 7. Hey God, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? After all that they have seen, after all that they have known, they were still looking for, uh, you know, a conqueror, a king to come restore the land that was taken from them by the Roman Empire, a a people, that group that was looking to be restored. Uh, uh, Many disciples were asking to become more powerful, right? Who's going to sit at your right hand? And God says, it's not for you to know the time of when these things will happen. Because God came to preach an upside-down kingdom, right? When the last shall be first, the servant of all will be deemed the highest of all. And sometimes I look at the disciples, I'm like, man, they really didn't get that. And sometimes I look at my own life, I'm like, man, I don't think I really get that yet either. But this is the kingdom that Jesus preached, the kingdom of God. And he's continuing to teach about the kingdom of God. And he is saying, it's not for you to know when it will be completely restored. Because the kingdom of God speaks to God's authority over all things. The kingdom of God isn't specifically just heaven one day that we get to go to. The kingdom of God is God's ongoing authority in our lives through his word and just his ultimate rule over uh, creation. That's what God's kingdom is. And we wait for the day that everything is made right, when all things will be reconciled to himself, like Colossians says, when all things will be made right in him. We wait for that day to happen. And Jesus' kingdom, or or, or the disciples are asking for it right now. And sometimes we ask for it right now. And God says it's not fine for you to know those things. And we wonder, we have those great mysteries. We don't know the time or the hour. For it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority. But, he says this, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. 
You will be my witnesses. I think it's cool. We know that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be convicted of sin, to understand uh, right from wrong. We know that the Holy Spirit allows us to understand Scripture. But what Jesus says the Holy Spirit's primary function here is, the thing that he focuses on in this passage, he says, when you receive the power from the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit helps us witness to those around us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be on mission for God. The Holy Spirit gives us discernment and direction on where to go, how to speak, the words to say. That's what Jesus says his Holy Spirit's for in this passage specifically, to be his witnesses. That's a primary identity for us as Christians. The people, the followers of God, the people who are following after Jesus, the spirit-filled people in this room, right? The Christ followers in this room. We don't just have the Holy Spirit so we can understand the Bible or to just, uh, you know, understand what is good and bad. No, we're also given the Spirit so that we can be witnesses, that we can be on mission, so that we can continually go and build the church of God through the help of His Holy Spirit you will receive power. You will receive power. These men, we talked about before, nothing super special about them. Nothing special about them. 11 dudes to the ends of the earth. Okay, let's see how this goes, right? But what did the Holy Spirit do? It gave them power. And we believe that you as a Christ follower, someone who knows and loves Jesus, have the power to be witnesses in your schools, to be witnesses in your family, to be witnesses to your neighbors across the street, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Because this is the promise that Jesus gave, and we celebrate the fact that the promise was fulfilled in this moment. So the, one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is that we would be witnesses of Jesus. I've said this plenty of times, that Jesus will never call you to something that he doesn't also empower you to do, right? If he's called you to be a witness, which like fun fact, he does. If Jesus has called you to go on mission, which fun fact, he does, and he calls you to a specific mission, and he calls you to a specific moment and situation in time, he will give you the power that you need to accomplish those things. He will give you the right words to speak when you're talking to your friend about Jesus. It might not always feel like it. It might feel weird, but God will give you those words to say. God will give you those gospel-centered moments across the dinner table to that relative or, or family member who doesn't know Jesus. God will give you those things. The Spirit will give us and does give us power. So we will be witnesses. We will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, there's a lot of different like roles that we take on throughout the day. There's a lot of different hats that we wear, so to speak. Many of us in this room uh, are sons and daughters. Well, we're all sons or daughters. That's just a fact. So everyone in this room uh, has a mom or dad. Someone uh, has someone in this room that they look up to as mom or dad. Uh, someone who has taken on that role. Many people in this room have siblings brothers, sisters in this room. And so we have the son and daughter. We have the brother and sister. And then beyond the family unit, we have different roles that we take on every day. We go to school and we're a classmate. We have uh, sports and we're a teammate. We have, you know, a project in class and we're a project mate. And so we take on all these different hats every single day. And there's different roles and different responsibilities that we take on. And there's also different things that we wear with pride, right? And we're super excited about. And if you're the captain of like your cross-country team or like your football team and you're just so pumped about it, 
And that's a hat that you'd wear with pride. That's a title that you would hold close to your heart. Man, I am on this team. I'm with this group of people. This is awesome, right? If you're on student leadership, many of you in this room, and you're like, okay, now I'm a student leader, and now I help at Citizens, and now I help uh, the direction and mission of Citizens on a weekly basis, and that's now a different hat you put on. We take so many different pride in, in the different roles and responsibilities we have, but overall, the ultimate identity that we have is children of God, but what else? Witnesses of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Man, I wonder how much our life would change, our perspective would change. We have all these distractions, all these different roles, all these different responsibilities. What would we do if at every single morning we said, God, first and foremost, I'm a child of God. And with that, I'm a witness of Jesus. Because so often we like to flip the script and say, okay, cool, I'm going to put on my like football hat. I am going to be this, uh, you know, this guy on my sports team. And if I get to share Jesus, that's awesome. Or I'm going to be the popular one in my friend group. Or I'm the person who kind of knows everybody at school and it's awesome. I'm going to wear that hat with pride. I'm going to uh, encounter that role with joy. And if I get to share Jesus with people, that's awesome too. When first and foremost, the thing that God has called you to be is a witness of Jesus. And he puts you in different roles in order to accomplish that primary mission. It's not the other way around. It is not the other way around. You are a witness of Jesus first in your school, and you get to be on the football team. You are a witness of Jesus first and foremost at your school, and you get to be someone who knows everyone. You are a witness of Jesus first and foremost, and you get to be a brother and sister. That is the title that should reign supreme in our hearts. How would that change your mission? How would that change your perspective on your school, on your sports team, in your neighborhood, with your friend group? How would that change? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to the Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? It doesn't say that Jesus empowers us to live a life that is just super comfortable. God has just empowered us to live a life where we get to understand the Bible just a little bit better than other people. And that's awesome, right? No, he doesn't say any of those things. He's empowered us to be witnesses, to witness to someone else. What does that mean? It means to tell other people about Jesus. Disciples of Jesus, we talked about last week, are following after Jesus. They're looking more like Jesus every day. And then uh, people who are witnessing about Jesus are speaking, are talking about Jesus, are saying the things Jesus said, teaching other people about him. So how are you doing? Who are you witnessing to right now? Who are you speaking to right now in this moment? Are you, you know, watching your status? Are you watching your relationship with your friends? Are you watching your relationship with your sports team? Are you watching your relationship with your academics and your schoolwork? Are you watching those things take precedent over the one goal and objective we have to be on mission for Jesus? Because it's not the other way around. God has blessed you with a skill set. He's, he's blessed you with friends and just things that you like, but he has called you to be a witness first. And then whatever else next. It's not the other way around, friends. It's not the other way around. And so you're here in this moment and you're like, yeah, that's scary. That's difficult. That's hard. And that's where the, the power of the Holy Spirit steps in. We just have to take that first step. You just have to take that first step to your principal's office and say, you know what? I really want to start this Christian club and I know no one else has. 
or I want to take my next step in my faith and I, I really want to talk to my friend about Jesus. I know they don't know you. You need to take that next step and the Spirit will give you the guidance and direction to be what witnesses. And now here in this context, he tells them, of course, Jerusalem. That's immediate. That's where they are. And he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave this place. And we're going to see why. We're going to see the, the Holy Spirit come a, a, on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And then he says, go to Judea, which is a little bit further out. And then Samaria, which is also a little bit further out. And then he says, to the ends of the earth, which is the furthest out you can possibly get. And so in that moment when you're in class or in that moment when you are in the hallway or in that moment when you're in the locker room at, at, you know, at football practice and it's really difficult to be a witness of Jesus, we have to know, we have to understand that he has called us literally to the ends of the earth. We can make a couple sacrifices while we're here on earth. We can make a couple sacrifices here to go to the ends of the earth. We can go across the hall. We can go across the streets first and foremost, right? It starts at home, right? It starts at Judea. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. All these places, by the way, there Jerusalem, there's immediate danger. There's, there's this reality that um, Christians are being, beginning to be persecuted. Judea, it's far from home for many of the disciples. Samaria, there is this tense conflict with the Samaritans. Uh, these, or, or the Samarians, they are, uh, there is this, this conflict between the Jewish people and them. It's really, really difficult to even grasp how much of a divide there was there just culturally and the, the hate that would come from both sides. And then he says to the ends of the earth, making it really, really difficult to say, man, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this. I don't know if I need to go this way or this direction. God has called us literally to the ends of the earth. Verse 9, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out, to their, out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So this is what we call the ascension. This is at that, you know, Jesus has risen again. He's walking with his people, his uh, followers for 40 more days. And then he's taken up in the clouds. This is where we get the, you know, the idea and we understand how Jesus will return one day in the clouds. We know that, uh, you know, from this passage, this is how he will return. He will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And this is our second and final point for the night. Jesus is alive and returning soon. Right? Jesus didn't die again. He ascended into heaven. He's still alive. Jesus is alive and returning soon, but the mission is now. The mission is now. I wonder how long those guys were looking up at the sky. Those two men in white robes, right? That's a reference to angels, uh, an angelic presence, white robes, this, this, this reference to, uh, you know, angelic beings. I wonder how long they were staring into heaven, you know? Like Jesus said these things, these powerful last words to his disciples, and they were just staring, looking. Like I wonder if it was like a minute. I think it was like five minutes, and God's like, all right, we need to send some guys down there to tell them to get going. Like they've just been looking up at the sky for a little bit, right? I imagine. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It'd be funny to know. They were standing there and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up in heaven? What are you doing? He just told you what to do. And now you're staring at the sky. 
He says, you just saw him, this Jesus who was taken from you into heaven, who will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Man, Jesus is alive and returning soon, but the mission is now. And we see over the next couple chapters in the book of Acts, what the church does, the way the church grows, the power of the Holy Spirit as promised in scripture. We see how these things begin and we get to know and we get to look throughout thousands of years of church history and know that the church is still alive. The church is still here. The church is still growing. And now it's our turn. It's our turn. It's our turn to be on mission. It's our turn to be witnesses. It's our turn to tell our friends about Jesus. The time is now. Jesus is alive and returning soon. It's something we are thankful for. It's something that we are praising God for. It is this is a true thing that is happening. But the mission is now. Our mission is not to stare in the sky and wonder when he's going to come back. It's not up to you. That's, it, you know, the, you don't know the time or the seasons. That authority has been given to the Father. It's not, given to be, not been given to anyone else. It's not our goal to look in the sky, wonder, man, when are things going to get better? Man, when's Jesus going to come back and make all things right? Man, when is Jesus just going to finally, uh, you know, come and just like settle the score, make everything right, redeem and reconcile all things to himself? When is that finally going to happen? We look forward to and we celebrate that day. But we know that Jesus has charged you and I with a mission to accomplish some of those things that we wonder about so frequently. So frequently we wonder about like, man, this thing's kind of terrible. When is it going to be made made better. And he has given you a conviction and the power to change those things. Man, the, my school is really dark. It's really lost. Jesus isn't really present. There's not a lot of Christians that I know. And Jesus has given you an opportunity in that school. Man, my football team, there's a ton of just like weird and gross things that people talk about and discuss. And I want that to change. And Jesus has made you and created you a light. Our job is not to look into the sky to stay in our chair, right? To stay in our little safe corner of the universe and to just look up and say, okay, one day, one day. No, we're called to go out. We're called to go, to be witnesses in places that we might never thought we were supposed to go to, but God will call you to them. Places where people are opposed to you, places where people are out to harm you, to hurt you. Yes, maybe even hurt your feelings a little bit. Just maybe. And it's okay. And it's fine because God has called you to do it. And his Holy Spirit will give you power. He'll give you power. So where do you need to be on mission? Where are you going? Jesus' followers, the people of God, are called to the ends of the earth. And we stand here today at the ends of the earth, so to speak. And we're called to go. We're not called to our seat. We're not called to a certain specific comfortable spot that we've been in for years. He has called you to do something. He has placed his people in situations where they can help make things better, that the justice of God would be brought out on earth, right? The thing that we look so desperately for, we can help facilitate. The kingdom of God, the things that we want to be right, we have an opportunity to help make things right with the power of God's Holy Spirit. And we'll never be perfect until that day Jesus comes. But we are not called to stare at the sky, to wait, you know, just and not do anything while we wait and look up at the sky. No, he has called us to mission and he has given us his spirit 
to empower us, to dwell with us, to be close to us, to be near with us in these moments. God's gonna give you that strength. The thing that you've been thinking about now for like two weeks, you're like, maybe I should just talk to that person. Uh, maybe I should finally go do those things. God's Spirit's gonna direct you. God's Spirit's gonna guide you. And I'd encourage you to step out in faith. Step out in faith and trust that the Lord will be faithful. Just like he held his church for thousands of years, just like he held his church through like some of the most craziest stories that we're going to see in the book of Acts. So the most insane things happen and we know that God's church is still here today. A group of people saying the same words, the same things, worshiping the same God. He's protected his people for thousands of years and he's going to continue to do it today. He's called you and I to be witnesses. So it's time to be on mission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So we're not just staring at the sky. We're so thankful we wait for that day. We're eagerly expectant for that day. But we go on mission. And we can change things. We can see the justice of the Lord brought. So as we close, as the band comes up, I want you to be thinking about that. I want you to be thinking about those, you know, those things, those, those roles that we have in life. Brother, sister, classmate, sport, you know, athlete, things like that. I want you to be wondering, I want you to be thinking about in the next couple of days, how can I be for, first and foremost a witness of Jesus Christ? How can I be first and foremost a messenger of the good news of God? How can I be first and foremost a witness of Jesus Christ? Because he has empowered you to be that. He's empowered you to be a witness. He has empowered you to be someone who goes to the ends of the earth on mission with him. And he puts you in different roles and different seasons and different opportunities, not so that you can be those things, but you can be a witness who just so happens to be in that role. You can be a witness of Jesus who just so happens to be in that AP program. You can be a witness of Jesus who just so happens to be on that team, right? Our identity, first and foremost, is found there. Is that where it is right now for you? Is that your identity? Is that where you're at right now? I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that for yourself. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're thankful for this, uh, this word, for, for Acts. God, for this, this amazing story of the gospel going out to be proclaimed, the gospel going out to be heard. God, we're so thankful that um, your church is still here. God, thank you for protecting and preserving your church, for dwelling with your people. God, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this spark that comes that ignites the flames of the church. Thank you, God. Please give us direction and wisdom how we can be witnesses, how we can go to the ends of the earth, how we can uh, love one another more. Give us those directions, Lord. Be with us today. We love you. You're the one we praise. You're the one we're thankful for. In Jesus' name we pray.